verse of scripture to you as we get started today. And then I know that if we read this scripture, then our children's church can go out. Y'all just hang loose for one second. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 4, we're going to look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And after this I looked and beheld a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee, look at this, things which must be hereafter. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again, and we ask you, Lord, to please be with us. Lord, we ask you that your presence, Lord, would just consume, Lord, invade and overtake this, this service today. Lord, that everything that we say, Lord, there's no way we can do anything on our own. It all has to be, Lord, through you. We give you glory, we give you praise, and we ask you, Lord, to please help us today. Uh, to see something in this scripture. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask it together. Amen. You can be seated. Listen, all the children's church, if you're going to be going to children's church this morning, ages four to eight, y'all can go ahead and slip out. Uh, Brother Andrew is uh, preaching today somewhere, at, uh, actually at Rice Chapel. And uh, so we'll remember Brother Andrew and uh, prayed for him this morning already. And so, listen, I, uh, I want to do like Patty said a while ago and... Um, Miss uh, Madeline sang about being held by the Lord, and I, I just want us to ask the Lord that he would hold our eyes, that he would actually teach us and show us something today. Um, I love the scriptures. I love the Bible. And I know there's some of them that are commandments. There are some of them that are uh, uh, promises and things that God has made. But this one today is really, he, he's painting a scene, and he's painting a room for us. And I want us to pray that God would allow us to be able to see these things, to go into this room. As, we were, as Patty was singing about a while ago, that she said, that, can you imagine that all that we know about heaven is really only half of what we know? You know what I mean? Everything that we've got in the Bible. Now listen, apart from what you think all of society out there in the world and you know, heaven is for real and all of the books and stuff that people try to produce and put those things, really the only truth that we have about what heaven's going to be like is found in the Word of God. And uh, it even tells us that only the half has been told, amen. And so I don't know about y'all, but when I get wrapped up in the Scripture sometimes and the Lord just kind of takes you there, if that's only half of it, no wonder we have to have a new body because this one will not be able to handle it. And uh, we would just bust. But I want to preach to you this morning about the throne room. And uh, I want you to please pray. I want you to pray that God would give us the time. Uh, it's 11 verses that God would give us the time to cover these 11 verses I hope that you would uh, allow that time and that you could always go, you can get something to eat later, but let's just focus this morning on the Word of God. In verse number one, I want to show you something. It, the first thing, if you're taking notes, it was in your bulletin, and I hope that you do because it helps you when you go home to kind of decipher everything. I'm known for talking real fast and preaching very fast, and if you take some kind of note, maybe you'll go home and go, okay, yeah, that was what he was saying. But look at verse number one. The Bible says, after this, I looked. After these things. It says, after this, I looked. But then look at the end of verse number one. He says, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. He said in that beginning verse, he said, after this, I looked. And then he said, and I want to show you something that's going to be after. In order for us to know what we're talking about, we're moving from the church age of the book of Revelation. We're moving from the churches. Now we're going into the throne room. We're actually, you, you got to set this scene. For the last seven weeks, I've preached to you about the seven churches. Each church, each Sunday of Revelation, we had a good time, didn't we? 
understanding what church that we want to be like, understanding what characteristics that we don't want to have about our church too, right? And so for seven weeks, we spent chapters 2 and chapters 3 talking about Jesus speaking to the churches. Every word that you read for seven weeks were all in red letter. They were all the words of Jesus. Everything that we talked about dealt with Church, church, church. Which the church is what? It is the New Testament believer's body of Christ in the world. The Old Testament was not called a church in the assembly sense of it all like the bride of Christ, but they were called the wife of Jehovah. And you say, well, Brother Steve, that's different. It's not really different because the Old Testament says that the wife of Jehovah was talking about that the chosen people of Israel were what? They were married to God the Father, but the New Testament church, the Bible says, is the bride of Christ. There's a difference in that, and we are called the bride of Christ, the sons and daughters, all of God together in Old Testament and New Testament. But in the New Testament church, in Revelations 2 and 3, he talked to the church over and over. And then now all of a sudden, we move. Look at that verse again, verse number 1. He says, after this. After what? After the days of the church are finished. Did you know that the church services that we have, and this is a very, very important thing for you to really pay attention to, did you know that the church services that we have today, whether it be a Sunday or Sunday night, a Wednesday or a revival meeting, when the church gathers together and we call on the name of God and we call on the name of the Lord and pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the, that is the King of kings and Lord of lords, did you know that there's going to be one day where the church services are over? There will be no more singing just as I am for an invitation song. There will never be another amazing grace sung out by the church here on earth because there's going to be a time where the church service ends here on earth because, Brother Mitch, the church is going to be caught together and taken out of the world from its chaos and placed into heaven. Amen? And when you look at this, Jesus is talking about here, John is saying all these things, the, the angel is speaking, and Jesus is talking talking to him, and he says, after these things, I'm going to show you now the rest of things that are going to take place. He said, so the rest of this book, I want you to think about something. From chapter 3, at the ending of chapter 3, and the first verse in chapter 4, we never read about the church again until we go to the chapter 19. You'll never read from chapter 6 to chapter 19 about the church. You won't read about the church being in tribulation. You will not read about the church being in turmoil. You won't read about the church being underneath uh, the rule and reign of Satan as he's doing this worst thing on the earth. You don't read about the church in those. And you ought to be thankful for that, amen? Because why? Because we're going to see something that happens. Listen, God is going to move the church someday out of this room to his throne room. And you say, Brother Steve, well, well, what do you mean? 46 times the word throne is used in the book of Revelation. So you got to know that this whole book of Revelation centers on the throne of God and the throne room of God. 46 times it is mentioned, but in this one chapter alone, in chapter number 4, it's used 12 times out of those 46 times. Church, there's a big, huge emphasis that the Lord is trying to show us. When the church is finished, when the days of the church are over, we're moving to the throne room. The Bible says, look, we're going to go to this. Look at this next point, to the throne. If you're taking notes, look at verse number 1. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Amen. Amen. Not like old Rowdy Rod that used to tell him on the prices, right, come on down. He says, come on up. He says, and I will show thee 
things which must be hereafter. In taking the first statement about that after these things and then the last statement of that, that verse about I will show you things hereafter, from the book of Revelation, chapter number 4, all the way to the end of the book, now we're into prophecy. Now we're into these are future things that are going to happen. They are not happening now. They didn't happen back then. They are actually, as Jesus said in the very beginning, do you remember the scripture that he used? I think it's Revelation chapter number 1, verse 10 and 11. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. He told the churches at Asia, what? Unto Ephesus, Smyrna. Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. He told them what was going to happen. He said, I want you to write these things down. He said, you're going to write the things which was, which is, and which is to come. But if you go back to that point where it says to the throne, he said a door in a heaven was opened or a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet speaking or talking with me and said, come up hither and I will show thee, look, here it is, the things which must happen hereafter. See, we've moved from chapter 1 where he talked about the one who was, talking about Jesus, who always has been, amen? He said he was what? The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Then we move into chapters 2 and 3 is what's happening now, right? Which is, which was, which is happening. And what is happening now is that we're in the days of the church, we're in the days where the churches are trying to preach the gospel of Jesus. We're in the days where we're trying to share faith in Christ with everyone. And now we're moving from chapter four or to chapter 4 to the throne room. And he says this. He says, now I'm going to show you the things which will be after these things. So it's prophecy that's going to happen. Look at that verse one with, with me one more time. Verse 1. He said, a door was opened in heaven... And the first voice, which I heard was of a trumpet talking with me, that said, come up hither. You say, Brother Steve, what is that dealing with? It's dealing with the rapture of the church. When we read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, when we read about 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, we understand that there's a clear picture of the rapture of the church, and then there's also a revelation of Jesus. The rapture of the church is something that the Bible says, Paul says, and God has said, it's a mystery. It wasn't revealed to everyone. It was only revealed to those who were believers and called to be a part of him. That's why even Jesus said that you will know my voice because why? My sheep heareth my voice. And not everyone would understand that. It's not something that's for the world. People say, well, I don't believe in the rapture. Well, where is your hope? Where is your hope placed in? Listen, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, it says that God has not delivered us into the hour of wrath, but obtained salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we talk about, I hear people, and I don't want to be dogmatic about this, and I don't want to like, hurt your feelings or anything. I just want to share with you, according to Scriptures, what we believe is true and what we teach here at church. But there's some people that say, Brother Steve, that I believe that maybe we are going to be raptured, but it's going to be halfway through the tribulation period. And then some people say, well, really, the, the rapture of the church is not going to take place until the end of the tribulation period. And I just want to ask you this question. Let's go back in our minds, scripturally, in the Old Testament, and understand what the whole tribulation period is all about. The Bible says in Daniel chapter number 9, which was a prophecy to the Israelites, 
not to the whole world, to the, but to the Israelites. He said, this prophecy is determined upon thy people, thy holy city. Talking about the Israelites and Jerusalem. And he told them that 70 weeks were determined. In other words, they were set in stone by what? By the voice of God that spoke it. Amen? That's what, if he said it, then we need to just take it for what he says. Amen? And it says that he said 70 weeks. And what that is, it actually, in our translation, it's 490 years are determined upon Israel. God said, I'm going to deal with Israel. He said they were in bondage for 400 years. He said, but they're going to be in tribulation for 490 years. And as we look at it, he said the clock will start ticking for Israel because they're all about signs and they're all about wonders. The Bible says the Jews seek a sign, right? It says, uh, uh, but the Gentiles are seeking wisdom and doing all these other things. But they're looking for all of this. He said the clock will start whenever the wall of the temple starts to be rebuilt. And when you go to the book of Nehemiah, you'll understand that when the wall of the temple began to rebuild, God started the clock, and we get all the way, and it says there will be 434 years that will pass. All of these things will come. And then there will be another set of years that will come, and we'll get to the point all the way up to 487, or excuse me, 83 of those years. 483 out of the 490 years will all be there. And he says, and when you'll know this will happen because Messiah will come and he will be cut off. And you say, well, what do you mean? The Bible says Jesus told them in the book of Luke on April the 6th, he told them, uh, telling all of Israel that day, he said, behold, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you up as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not let me. He told them that day that their house was left desolate, that the house of God that should have been called the house of prayer is now desolate and it's their own house. And what happened? They killed him. They cut the Messiah off. Daniel prophesied about it. And when they cut the Messiah off, that's when the clock temporarily stopped at that moment because the Bible says that all of this would come up and then it would be cut off. And then here we are now in the days of the church, the mystery of the church, the wonderful that sometimes people are just absolutely weird about this and they call it the, the parentheses or the plan B of God. God didn't have a plan B. God doesn't have a plan B or plan A or Z or any of those things. God just has his will and he's going to get it accomplished. But all of a sudden, Paul comes on the scene and tells us about a mystery. He said, listen, behold, we shall not all sleep. He said, but we shall be raised in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the trump of God. Amen. He tells them that to the Corinthian church. To the Thessalonican church, he told them that, listen, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And people go, well, Brother Steve, that isn't fair. Why will the dead in Christ rise first? They're sick. Six feet below us. Maybe it gives them time to catch up. Amen? Listen, he says all these things are going to happen, and we have these mysteries. Do we have mysteries in the Bible? Let, let, me, let me share a mystery with you. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 5, it gives genealogies of people. It talks about the life of Adam and how long he lived. It talks about the life of Seth and how long he lived. It talks about the life of Lamech and Noah and Methuselah and all these others. But there's one of these guys in there by the name of Enoch. The Bible gives clear indication that Enoch was a man that wholeheartedly followed the Lord God. That evidently they walked together, they had communion together, and Enoch lived for, I think, about 300 years. And then the Bible says this crazy mystery. It says, and then all of a sudden Enoch was looked for one day and they couldn't find him. And the words say this, for God took him. Well, where did he take him, right? 
Where did he take him? Where did he took him? He took him out of this world into the throne room, amen, into his presence. I can only imagine as God and Enoch had communion together that God just leaning over and saying, I've spent much time with you here. Why don't you come to my house now and we'll have some fellowship. It's a mystery. People, listen, I don't know if they're still looking for him, but he's not here because he's been taken. In the New Testament, in the book of Thessalonians and also in the book of Corinthians, it talks about the rapture of the church. And now people do this. They go, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And you know what? The word Bible's not in the Bible either. Amen? The word, tri- uh, the word uh, Trinity is not in the Bible, but do we believe in God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. The word rapture is a Latin word that is rapio, which means to be caught away, or get this, to be taken. Amen? To be snatched and to be caught out. Enoch was taken out. When was he taken out? In the very next chapter of Genesis, the flood of all the earth happened. And Noah and his family were in that ark, which was a symbol of what? Them being in Christ, floating around on the water, and the water not in the boat, because if the water got in the boat, they weren't baptized, if the water got in the boat, then the boat would have sank to the bottom. If you want to, we could show you some pictures of the Titanic, right? No, it didn't get in there, but they were safe because they were sealed on the outside and sealed on the inside. The Hebrew word was kefir, which means that they had atonement on the outside and on the inside. It was the word kefar, and it meant that they were ransomed, amen? That when we're in his arms and we're in his hand and nobody can get us out. But they went through great tribulation of the flood which was a representation of what Israel will do someday because God will chastise them to bring them back to where they need to be. Now, with all that being said, I want you to look at that scripture one more time. It says, a door was opened in heaven. And in your Bible, it may be italicized, the word was. It may have, uh, your, your Bible may read this way, that there was a door standing open in heaven. And it actually is the truth. It doesn't mean that someone opened the door in heaven. It means that this door is opened in heaven right now. It means that there's an open invitation. It means that the door of heaven is not closed off to anyone at this time. Listen, will it be closed at one time? Those will be cast out. Listen, people will be cast out of the sight of God and they will be in hell for all eternity. The Bible says right now, it's a door standing open, amen? People sometimes say, Brother Steve, how do you join the church here? Used to, years ago, preachers would say, we open the door of the church to you today and all that. Uh, listen, I'm like Revelation 4, the door's always open, and you want to join, join. Amen. We don't close the doors on the altar, and we don't close the doors on the church. We want you to join and serve with us. But look, look at the next thing. A door was opened in heaven, and it says, and the first voice, I love this, He says, which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. He said, the voice was like a trumpet talking to me. I want you to look again, Josh, at Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is the beginning of the book we talked about the first Sunday. He said, and I heard behind me, look at this, a great voice as of a trumpet and saying these words in red, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. You know what the Bible's teaching us here? Is that in Revelation chapter 4 when it says and that there was a door open and the voice that, that I heard that spoke to me was the voice as of a trumpet. You know what it's talking about, church? Someday Jesus is going to call us up. 
The Bible teaches that. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. This doesn't teach soul sleeping. It's talking about their body being asleep. Amen. The Bible tells us this. When you die as a Christian and a believer in God, that your spirit will go to heaven, which is God, and God gave it, but your body will lie in that sleep. And it says it will be called out someday, and we will do what we will rise to meet the Lord in the air we're not he's not coming to the earth at this time this is not the revelation of Jesus this is the rapture of the church Lewis says for the Lord himself shall descend with uh, from heaven with what with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be called up to me in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words it says with the voice of the archangel listen it says it will be a voice as of an archangel it tells us and it will be at the trump of God now here's where the problem comes in people go well we're going to be raptured out of here in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation at that last trumpet of the seven trumpets those seven trumpets we're going to get into later this year are not trumpets of good things they are trumpets of God's wrath and let me tell you something God has delivered us from the hour of wrath we are to obtain salvation and the trumpet that we hear will be the one of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ calling us up amen you say man that's going to be amazing ain't it hey man it's going to be a good time people say wonder what it's all going to be like in the trumpet and all that stuff well I imagine it'll be much like in John chapter number 10 or John chapter number 11 the Bible says that Jesus says tell me where you've laid him talking about Lazarus so they brought Jesus to the tomb he said roll away the stone what did one of the sisters said you know Lord by now I mean he's been dead for four days by now I love the King James way it said he stinketh you know what I mean he smells his dead body is, is decaying. He smells by now. He said, roll away the stone. He turned around. When she said that, you know what Jesus said? He said, didn't I tell you that if you believe that anything is possible, didn't I tell you that I am the truth, I am the life, I am the resurrection? Listen, and the Bible says that Jesus cried. It says with a loud voice. People look at John eleven thirty five, 35, which is everyone's favorite scripture to remember. Right? You want to quote that one because it's the shortest. Uh, Jesus wept. And they go, oh, Jesus wept because Lazarus was dead and he was upset about him being dead. And all. That's not what the Scripture teaches at all. The Bible already declared that Jesus said, I'm going to wake him up. <laughs> and the disciples said, well, if he sleeps, doesn't he do good? And he said, you don't understand, he's dead. I'm getting him up in a different way than what you're thinking about. Amen? He said, I'm going to call out with a voice that you're going to be able to hear. But listen, you're going to see that this is a representation of the power that I have over death. The Bible says that whenever he came to the tomb and they rolled away the stone, it says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And with a loud voice. I love it. Don't you imagine Jesus as he's speaking at the... Uh, Sermon on the Mount and giving the Beatitudes that he's real calm. You know, I think about the still small voice of God in those moments. You know, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth, you know. Blessed are you and you shall hunger and thirst for righteousness for you will be filled. And, and I think about him, Brother Butch, being that way. But hey, to raise up dead people, especially dead in Christ, and if they have any kind of Baptist in them, to raise them up, you're going to have to get a little bit louder. Amen. It's going to be a call that's going to wake the dead. You say, man, I just don't know about that. Listen, it's going to happen. He moved from verse 1 talking about going into the throne room. Listen, now 
John pictures, look at verse number one, or verse number two and three. Now he pictures who is on the throne. And listen, he's picturing someone that's there. And listen, I want to tell you before you get started, before you get all stirred up and happy, it's not Jesus. It's God the Father. Look at verse number two. It says, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne, look at these words, was set in heaven. You know what it means? It was set out perfectly. It means that everything was arranged. Listen, when you go to the dinner table, it's good to see the table set. Why? Because you know you're fixing to eat. When you walk by the dinner table this afternoon and there is no setting or place settings on there, do you know what? Don't look for something to eat because nobody's bringing it. But if the table is set, somebody's bringing something. What's the first thing the waitress does to you or the waiter does to you when you go out to eat this afternoon? They bring you silverware. They set down napkins in front of you. And then they ask you, what do you want to drink? And you're excited. Why? Because you know food's coming. Food's coming. The Bible says that John came into this heavenly throne room and he said, Sister Julie, that it was set. It wasn't something that needed to be prepared. It was already prepared. It wasn't something that John said, now what do we do? And confusion was about the place. It was perfectly planned and laid out. And John was, listen, what's he doing? He's moving, Brother Jack, from earth and church and the chaotic things that were going on around the church. Them worshiping Zeus and worshiping Athena and false gods. And he's moving from chapters 2 and 3. Jacob now is going to the throne room where there's no chaos. And he said, everything is set. Amen. Listen, everything is perfect. And he says in that next part, he says, And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow about the throne in the sight likened to an emerald. Listen, John began to try to describe what he saw on the throne. And the only thing that he could describe and the word that he could use was just simply this. One that sat on the throne. One he just could make out that there was one there. And some of you go, Brother Steve, if the throne room was set and it was so clear that everything was set, then why wasn't God who sat on the throne clear in the image that John saw? Because the Bible says in John chapter 4 that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not made like us into fallible creations and man-like things. God is not made like birds and cows and beasts and man and woman. He's a spirit, amen. Jesus was the one that came in God in the flesh, but God the Father is there in a spirit. Are you getting me? And the Bible says that John, the only thing he said, there was one that sat on the throne. And then he started pulling out some characteristics. He started saying this. He said, the only thing I can think of is, number one, he says, he looked like a stone of jasper. He said, he looked like a stone of jasper. A jasper stone sometimes is multicolored. In the Israelites and the Jewish people of the Old Testament times, it was red in its color. It was a hard stone. And what John was describing there was God and his words and his command that as he sat there on the throne, that the only thing that he could imagine and put into our terminology today was that God was like a jasper hardened stone whose words, whose commands, whose laws will not be altered or changed by no one, but he is like a stone of jasper. Amen. And then the next thing he said, he was like a sardine stone. It was a sardis stone. And he said he was as 
fiery red when I looked at him. That stone, that's the Sardis stone or the sardine stone, is a red fiery stone. It's a ruby that actually sparkles in its light. And he was trying to describe God for us in human terminology. And he said that his word was true. He was firm. He was like stone of jasper. But also he was fiery red. You know what he was saying? Listen, sister girl. He was saying he is like a consuming fire. Do you know what's so awesome about the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple? My dad always likes this, is that the fire at the brazen altar was never quenched. It never went out. It never quenched. And listen, it was just like our God. And that's what John said. And looking at the Hebrew priest, they used to wear, the high priest used to wear this thing called an ephod. And it had a breastplate that was actually inlaid onto that ephod. And it had four rows of three stones down through there. You can write this on your notes, Exodus chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 31. And you can read about that later on this afternoon after you finish dinner. But it says there were, there were three stones in four rows. Listen, you know what the first stone was? Sardis, the sardine stone. Fiery red. You know what the last stone was? Stone of Jasper that was hard. Listen, the first beginning and the end. First and the last. Alpha and Omega. Amen? Listen, he was saying, I am all those things. Everything you saw. Listen, you know what is so amazing about the Old Testament tabernacle and temple? That when God told Moses how to build it, do you know what the words that he chose to use? He said, you pattern it after the things which are in heaven. Amen. He knew that in the wilderness they needed heaven on earth. And he said, you pattern it after the things in heaven. And listen, that red, fiery judgment of God with the stone morality and words that he spoke, that's what John said. And then the last thing he said was this. He said there was a, a rainbow that was about him that actually went round about the throne. It said that it encompassed the throne. It says, but it wasn't of all of those multicolors that we know of today. It says, but it was like an emerald. You know what it represents? That wonderful, beautiful, and that green represents. It doesn't represent the green of today, of what we're talking about, e ecosystems and all that stuff. It represents the mercy of God. What did God promise? Are you listening? What did God promise? God promised he had never flood the earth again and he would never destroy creation from off of the earth. And there at his throne was his eternal promise. See, we only see half right now. Brother Adam, we only know half the story right now. When we look up into the sky and we see that beautiful rainbow, we understand that that's a beautiful image of God's mercy and his grace upon us. Listen, no matter what other things say or other people say, that's exactly what it represents is what God's word tells us. But we only see half of it. We only see a bow. We only see half of it. But the Bible says this one encircles, encompasses the throne of God. See, Patty, we may only know half right now. But when we get there, when we get there and we see God for who he is, we'll know that he is complete. He is fully complete. Look at this second, well, third or fourth thing. I don't even know what number it is. Verse number four. We move from uh, what was on the throne to now to the things that are around the throne. The Bible says, and around about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The Bible says, when you look at this, it says that there were seats around the throne. This word means, the word seat itself is throne. It's the Greek word thronos, and it means throne. But what it means, Brother Brent, it means that it's a smaller seat, a smaller throne. That's why the translators translate it many times into seats, but it still carries the image of that it is a throne. The Bible says that there are 24 elders that are on the throne. Now that's talk, 
When we use the word elders in the Old Testament, we understand it was talking about people that were older, people that you looked up to. But when you look at the whole sense of what an elder is, it doesn't just mean respect your elders as we're taught here in the South. It means those that were actually appointed and assigned, those that actually grew. And actually today, if you want to understand, the word for pastor, bishop, and elder are used in the Bible for pastor, someone that is an elder. Now, I'm not in the elder in the sense that you want to try to use that on me now. I'm not old, but it means someone that has matured in Christ, someone that has matured in God, and that they have grown, and they believe in God, and that's someone that you can look to. The Bible says there's 24 of them. There's 24 seats, and on those seats were 24 elders. You see just those two things in that scripture, and you say, Brother Steve, what does this represent? As we get further into the scriptures, you'll understand, but I want to share with you today that 24 understanding and dividing it into half, being 12 and 12, it actually gives a complete picture of all believers of God from Old Testament to New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, God used what in order to bring people to himself? He used the 12 tribes of Israel that were those 12 patriarchs, those 12 sons, which were 12 elders, and whose names were actually on all of those stones on the breastplate. He used all of them to bring all people to himself. They had to go and sacrifice lambs and do those things, but God worked through the 12 tribes. In the New Testament, we understand that we have 12 apostles. We even have Paul that we talk about sometimes as being the 13th apostle apostle but really he was sent out to the gentile people but we had 12 apostles that now we have this 12 patriarch tribes and 12 apostles and before the throne of god we have a complete set of believers from old testament to new testament and you say how do you know these are believers because angels are not dressed in white linen and angels do not have crowns of gold which are crowns of glory and life and righteousness these are not angels sitting on this but these are 12 elders 12 elders which are all believers of all time and you need to remember that you need to remember that that happened you say well brother steve the 12 apostles or excuse me the 12 tribes and when they came out we know we know that according to the scripture, that all of those believers are in heaven today, that they're raptured, excuse me, they were resurrected out. So what do you mean, Brother Steve? You believe Moses is there and, and, and uh, all of those other guys and, and uh, 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 Noah and Enoch. We've already talked about Enoch. He took, remember, he was took. But Matthew chapter 27, let me read this to you. It says this. It says, Jesus is on the cross, and as he's dying on the cross, it says he cries with a loud voice again, and he yielded up his spirit. It says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked. Brother David, get this. And the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. The Bible says the graves were opened. But then listen to this. And many bodies of the saints which had fallen asleep were raised. But it says this. And coming out of their graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that the earth quaked and that the graves were opened up. But they didn't come out then. But Brother Matt, after the resurrection of Jesus, those saints of God came out. Why did they have to wait, Brother Jack, for Jesus to be resurrected? Because he's the first of the resurrection, amen? The Bible declares he's the first fruits of it all. And he had to conquer death and the grave in order to do what? To bring all them up. Amen. And like the song we sing, saints will rise, the saints rose. Amen. Uh, as they sing in New Orleans, the saints went marching in. They all went out. But now, now we are waiting for our time 
of resurrection. Now listen, don't let that confuse you. The Bible says that we've moved now to this other thing. Look at verse number 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Listen, now we move to from the throne. See these things that are coming out of the throne. He said there were lightnings and thunderings and voices. Don't let that scare you because the Bible says that this is a representation of what was going on at Mount Sinai. What does this mean, Brother Steve? It means that from the throne of God, it says there's judgment that's going to come. What happens when you see lightning or you hear thunder? What do you think's coming? Storm's coming. A storm is coming. And listen, in chapter number 6 of Revelation, a storm is about to come on this earth like never was before. And John saw the throne of God, and he said lightning and thundering and voices were coming out of the throne of God. And he was saying that God's judgment was just as it was right there, and a storm was coming, and he was going to judge the earth. Look at the other thing that's there. The Bible says, and there were the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne that are the seven spirits of God. Don't let that scare you either because what that's a representation of is in the Old Testament tabernacle, they had a seven-branched lampstand that was in the holy place. And what did it do? It illuminated. It illuminated the room. And what's happening here is that the Holy Spirit of God, because it says it's the spirits of God, it's the Holy Spirit of God is being shown here in his 100% perfection, and he is illuminating God's throne. The Holy Spirit of God, what does he do? What is his job in our life? The Bible says in John 14 that he will teach you all things, that he will come and he will be with you and he'll teach you all things. What does he do? He sheds light on what God is doing. What does the Holy Spirit do also? He actually breathes out God's words and God's commands, Brother John. And all of a sudden, right there before the throne, the Bible says John looked and there were seven lamps that were burning and it represented the seven spirits of God, which was the holiness of God. The Holy Spirit, or what we say, the Holy Ghost of God, was right there illuminating the throne. Do you know that that's why Satan hates you? You, know, you do know that Satan hates you, right? You know why he hates you? It's because his position in the beginning was an angel of light, that he illuminated the throne of God, that his position was to bring glory to God, but yet he did not. And you know what our position is now, that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? You know what you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be a little light. You're supposed to say, this is a light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, amen? God's not interested in just who Cody is or who Andrew is or Steve is. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's inside of you that calls is that fire and that light to burn and now the Holy Spirit of God is just illuminating the throne of God right there in the middle of heaven and John sees it all amen you remember that the Holy Spirit brings life it quickens and that's what he's doing shining light on God the Father listen here's the other one I think this is number six and we're almost done look look before the throne this may terrify you a little bit may scare you but just give me some time it says and before the throne there was also a sea of glass like in the crystal and in the midst of the throne verse 6 through eight, it says, and round about the throne were four beasts. Look at this, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second was like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Let's break it down. Go back to that first part right there in verse 6. First thing John says is, Before the throne there was a sea of glass. He said there was a sea of glass that was out there. And listen, if you're walking, we've been walking, Brother Jack, in the Old Testament, really. We've had a lamp that's burning in front of that. We've had the stones that represented the fiery, brazen altar. And now we're walking up to what? We're walking up to what was like the Old Testament laver, where the high priest used to go out there and they would wash their hands and their feet. 
and performing the service of God, they would go into the holy of a holy place, the holy sanctuary, and then uh, once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. We you know what that laver did? That laver was a reflector. In the Old Testament, it was beaten out of brass, and it was one piece, and it actually reflected back. And Brother John, when that, that priest that did the service of the Lord went, before they grabbed into that, they actually saw their reflection. You know, the Bible teaches us that we are renewed by the washing and the regeneration of the Word of God. You know that this word right here is what what Jesus called it in John chapter 4. He said, I'll give you living water, right? And listen, it's a reflector. I listened to a man share his testimony this week that he said he got saved because he was driving down the road and realized who he was. And it was like God was reflecting himself back. And I'll tell you something, that's what the Word of God will do. When you compare yourself to the Word of God, you'll understand all of the flaws and the things and the sinful things that you are. And there it is before the throne of God, Brother Mitch, is not a laver of of water, but there is a sea that's out there that looks like glass, John said. Now imagine seven branches of fire burning in the Holy Spirit of God there. The glory of God Almighty in His bright redness and His firmness that's just shining, Brother William, and it's just illuminating everything. The 24 elders, as they are sitting on thrones, 12 and 12 with crowns of gold, reflecting that light that's shining, the Holy Spirit reflecting that light on the crowns. Can't you see it? Come on, man. Can't you see it? And then all of a sudden, there's a huge sea of glass that's reflecting everything. Greater than the reflection pool in Washington, D.C., amen, reflecting all of the throne room of God. And John says, you can see everything in this room, amen. He says that it shines upon the throne. And what's it doing, amen? Thank God it's not reflecting, brother Matt, sinful man anymore, but it's reflecting a holy God. That sea of glass is reflecting a holy God, not us, amen. Then all of a sudden, look at the second thing he saw. He said, I saw four beasts. The Greek word there is zoon, and it means a living creature. It means a living creature. He said, I saw four beasts. And look back at this part right here. He says at the beginning, Brother Josh, go back to the other one. It says, there were four beasts full of eyes. It says, before and behind, and the beasts were like a lion, and one was like a calf, and the other was like a man, face of a man, and the other one was like a flying eagle. I don't know about y'all. You get in the book of Revelation and you're sitting at home at night at about 1230 and you're just saying, you know, I need to study my Bible. And you get into your Bible and you start getting over there. You, you, you think, what's going on? God, what are you doing? You know, this is weird. You know, I haven't taken anything. Uh, you know, um, what's, what's happening? Don't let these things scare you. John is trying to put into human words what he's seeing. He's trying to put into our words today because he's commanded, brother, Brian, to write down the things that he saw. And he's trying to help us to understand. And he says, before the throne of God, there are these living creatures. There are these angelic living creatures. God created them. God created the angels too. Created all things. And he's telling them, and all of a sudden you see this picture. They had all kinds of eyes, but they had all kinds of wings. They had six wings. And that takes you back, if you're a study of the Bible, to the book of Ezekiel and to the book of Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said that there were seraphim, which were angels, powerful angels, before the throne of God. But he only saw little pieces of it, Isaiah did. John's seeing it even more. And he's saying they had six wings, and they had eyes all in the wings and on the backside and on the inside. And I know that, what do you mean by that? He's trying to describe their ministry. He's trying to tell you that they see all things. They see clearly because they're before the throne of God. We can't see clearly because we're in flesh. 
He's saying these beings, they see clearly. They see all things. And not only that, he said they had six wings. You say that's a completion of their ministry. The number for humanity and mankind on the sixth day, God created man. The angelic ministry is not for themselves, but everything they were doing, Brother Matt, was to come down and give to mankind, to humanity. And he's saying all of their ministry stems around the six wings that they have. And he's saying everything that they do, they take what God has said and bring it down perfectly to man and mankind. All right? But then look at it. It says the first one looked like a lion. It says that it was there as a lion. You say, well, all right, well, what do you mean? Let's talk about the lion. We're going to end. We're going to end real quick. Just stay with me. Please stay with me. I can't close this one off. You close this one off, you lose everything. There's no way I could pick back up. Just hang with me for a little bit. The first one looked like a lion. And what is a lion? It is the mightiest of all creation, mighty beast, king, right? We understand that. It's one that has power. It's one that has what? More regalness over all the other animals. The other one looked like a calf. You say, well, what do you mean? The ox. An ox toward the Israelites was what? Represented the strongest beast that there was here on this earth. That they were strong and that they could take heavy loads and that they could take the weight of the day and the heat of the day. And then the Bible says, and the other one had the face of a man. In other words, it was representing man. God created man and did this. But then the last one, it says it looked like a flying eagle. Not an eagle. You may go home today and you'll Google, you know, the, the, the imagery of Re- Revelation chapter 4. And you got somebody that drew an image of an angel that had the big old eagle face. It didn't say that. It said it looked like a flying eagle. Okay? So the Bible teaches us that it was its beauty, its majesty, its splendor, and the sovereignty. Listen, we talked about the sea of glass as a reflector of God. That's all that these angels are doing. These angels are standing there before the throne of God, these living creatures, and the Bible says one looked like a lion. And you know what they were doing? They were looking unto God the Father on the throne, and all they were doing was reflecting what they saw in the throne, that he is regal and he is royal. The other one says, as the calf, he is strong and he's dependable. The other one, as the face of a human, listen, represents what? What's going to come out in Revelation chapter number 5? That he came in the form of flesh to die for sinful flesh. The other one that was in the face of an eagle or or as a flying eagle, the Bible says that he is representing what? The, The majesty and the sovereignty of God. All this is, church, in this imagery, is all of heaven reflecting God's characteristics. It's all just descriptions of who God is. And, if, and, and, and for one amen, you didn't get it. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven and we see God for who he is, we'll find all of these characteristics just like John said. And what John was trying to do was to say that I can't put it into words. I can't write it down. There's times I tell my wife, I, want, I wish there was something more that I just said than just I love you because it's so much more that I feel about you. And John's saying this is God. This is everything about him. He saw all of creation reflecting back. And so there, who's there? All of the believers from the Old Testament. All all the believers from the New Testament, all of creation represented, and then they're all looking at God. And look at this last thing because of the throne. Brother Andrew and Brother Brandon, you come on. It says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks unto him that sat on the throne, glory and honor and thanks, what were they doing? They were saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. It says they constantly said that. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. 
They said it over and over. And then something happened in heaven that needs to happen in church. You know what happened in heaven? All of a sudden, because of what was going on around the throne, the Bible says, then those beasts, when they gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne that lives forever and ever, says the four and 20 elders, they had to stand up. They got up first. They got out of those little bitty throne seats. They got up, and it says they fell before the throne. It says, and they worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. Look at this next part. It says, and cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The throne room of God was moved. Creation was saying, God is holy, He's holy, He's holy. Then all of the believers throughout all the years, they got up and they moved, and they fell down before the throne, and they started worshiping the Lord. They fell down. Do you know what? When's the last time you went to an altar and just fell down? And said, Lord, thank you. I'm not talking about, oh God, I need help. Oh God, I need this. Oh God, 